Yo, what is up, guys? Today, we have a special guest on the podcast. His name is David Modell. Now, David has a YouTube channel of over 42,000 subscribers and talks about stocks on his channel. Also, he coaches and mentors people that really want to succeed in the markets. Now, although David doesn't have any um, licenses or he's not like a registered financial advisor or anything like that, he does provide great insights as he has years of experience with trading and investing. If you go on his YouTube channel, which, you know, is his name, David, and then from Odell, M-O-A-D-L, you will learn a lot about stocks. Instead of um, seeing only just the charts, he will actually analyze the fundamentals, digging deep into SEC filings, um, news events, and so on. So now, before we get started, know that this is not financial advice, that this podcast is not financial advice. All content should be considered opinionated, and both the guest and I are not responsible for any gains and losses. Now, furthermore, also know that our guest on this podcast, um, he will mention some stocks that he owns, and he'll mention other stock ideas and stock trading strategies. No, just please consider all content on this podcast opinionated. Thank you. Now, please, before we get started, please listen to our sponsor. So, guys, before we start, know that David is a contrarian investor by heart. Throughout his whole experience, his contrarian investing style has yielded him um, not only great experiences, but even great returns in the stock market. Now, as we were talking um, in the beginning, David um, talks about a lot of um, irrational exuberance that has been going on in the markets. Um, it's interesting that you have companies that aren't making a lot of money, or more like not making any money at all, just like receiving like these really high valuations while you have companies that are um, generating consistent profits not get like that much of a high valuation of a valuation. So like while a company that generates profits might get like a P ratio of like 10, you have other companies that are, either, are making little profits or no profits and their P ratio is like way higher, like 70, 80, etc. Um, and it's just really interesting that as more and more unprofitable companies come into the market, um, many investors, um, are willing to take the chance, even if the odds are against them. Now, as we, um, as we start, David talks about the WeWork IPO and how many investors just weren't, weren't able to like get out of the WeWork mess alive, like not literal terms, like alive, but if you know what I mean. If you don't, well, know that it means they weren't able to recuperate their capital. Instead, um, they had a huge loss. So please listen to David. Up and up and up. And uh, anybody who invested in that uh, is already way, way down. So some people are down uh, 80% or more on their investment. Why? Because they weren't looking at the fundamentals. Uh, and people who've been in this game for a long time 
saw this coming because I don't know if you're old enough to remember back in like the year 2000, companies in the tech bubble like Pets.com, I'm sure you heard of that yeah. one, where the stock price was just going up and up and up. Meanwhile, Pets.com, people were not buying dog collars, dog food online. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everybody thought that was going to be the next big thing. And so what happened, that stock crashed, people who invested, uh, you know, in this uh, stock, which was, uh, which had a PE, you know, price to earnings ratio of over 100, it was huge, and they weren't thinking, is this a good value? As Warren Buffett once said, and I'm going to butcher this quote, I'm sure, uh, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Mm-hmm. And so people were looking at the price, they weren't thinking about value, and uh, they were just, or they were just looking at the chart, not looking at fundamentals. Now, and, and again, am I going to short something in this market environment? No. But am I going to buy it? No, I'm just not even going to touch it. So, regarding like, you know, the fundamentals and all, um, especially in this bull market where a lot of companies that are IPOing don't make money, um, investors uh-huh. usually justify like higher growth in revenue as like a reason to invest in those companies. Um, would you say um, investors are still. Um, how do you say this? Irrationally exuberant, or do you think that might be a good reason to invest in an unprofitable company? Uh, yeah, I, I don't invest in, in companies that are not profitable. Uh, there are exceptions. Like, for example, there are cannabis companies mm-hmm. that are not profitable yet. Uh, but that's normal for cannabis companies to go for three, four, five years. Uh, with a, you know, they, they might have a five-year plan. Uh, to become profitable, okay? So there are exceptions to all these rules that I'm saying today. But generally speaking, if a company is not profitable, if you go on, let's say, Yahoo Finance, and you look for the P.E. ratio, and it says N.A., not applicable, mm-hmm. uh, and you look at the EPS, earnings per share, and it's a negative number, okay, that means they're not earning money yet. And so there cannot be a P.E. ratio <laughs> because you, the uh, P.E. ratio is a fraction basically, and you cannot have the denominator of a fraction be zero. <laughs> so, you know, you get an error on the calculator <laughs> if you try that one. That's true. Uh, so, so you can't even find a good valuation because, you you know, the price-to-earnings ratio, they have no earnings yet. Uh, you, you don't know their earnings per share because it's, or you know it, but it's negative. Uh, so it's hard to even value that company properly. Um, uh, so generally, I generally will avoid that, generally speaking. Okay, but um, would you use metrics like adjusted EBITDA to, um, like, would you actually support the use of adjusted EBITDA? Because some investors, they use that just to show that a company is truly profitable. Um, what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, EBITDA, E-B-I-D-T-A, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but it's basically earnings after you take out a lot of expenses, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the real earnings and then adjusted is when you, that's the net version of that as opposed to gross. So that's a, you know, so we're not excluding people because of the terminology here. Um, that is one metric, uh, but it's one among many. And here's the problem is that analysts screw everything up because uh, what is, uh, okay, whether a stock is an earnings beat or earnings miss depends not just on their revenues and their EBITDA and their adjusted EBITDA and so on and earnings and all that. It depends on how that is compared to what analysts thought it would be. Okay. And analysts, 
and analyst expectations, and I have a chart on this. Uh, I wish people could see it, but on a podcast, it's not so easy to do that. But analyst expectations of profits and earnings and all those metrics have been going down and down and down, month after month after month. So we have a culture of low expectations. And so all these beats, quote-unquote, I'm using quote fingers that you can't see, <laughs> all the beats have been based not on companies and corporations in the United States doing great. They're not. They're not doing that well. It's just that the expectations that analysts make have been going down and down and down. They keep readjusting their uh, analyst consensus estimates lower and lower and lower. Uh, and so why that, that gives stocks an excuse to go up along with Fed, you know, manipulation and all that of the markets. Um, so right now the S&P is at the highest, uh, you know, is, is at all-time highs. The mm-hmm. P.E. ratio is above what it should be, you know, forward P.E. is way above where it has been historically for years since the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Uh, so these analysts uh, have created this culture of low expectations. And, and just generally in the financial markets, we get beat after beat after beat, but they're not real. Uh, it, it's just like when the government, when the Bureau of Labor Statistics says, oh, uh, unemployment is uh, 3.5%, the best since 1969, uh, you know, the best in, in you know, half a century. Really? Okay, well, how about the fact that they have a culture, again, of low expectations, because uh, if somebody is part of the gig economy, if they're a freelancer who works two hours a week, uh, you know, they could be homeless, but they're counted as employed. Uh, you know, if somebody has just given up on looking for a job out of frustration because nobody will hire them, they're counted as not unemployed, believe it or not. And so they just readjust the metrics. And so through this culture of low expectations, we think that companies are doing great, which really aren't. I totally agree with you. Um, I actually did not know that like the gig economy has um, contributed to like low unemployment because usually when I think of gig economy, um, I wouldn't really consider them employed though. But I didn't know like the metrics are so screwed up. And you wouldn't consider them employed, or neither would I, or at least not gainfully, you know, uh, meaningfully employed. But, you know, where they can live off of that. Yeah, somebody could have a part-time job or even be part. If, if you're part of the gig economy and you're working, you know, you, you contribute uh, taxes and you're counted as employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're counted, you know, you pay the self-employment tax. I know because I'm part of the gig economy. I'm a freelancer. Uh, I coach a lot of people. I make YouTube videos. I get a little bit of revenue from that. I have promotional and sponsored videos. I have to you know, declare taxes. So I'm counted as employed. Now, I, I make a good living, but what if, you know, I don't know, what, what if all those uh, were to dry up uh, and I was only working five, ten hours a week or something like that? Uh, that would not be enough to live on, and yet I would be counted as employed. Uh, so they just changed the way they count it, and uh, this is a, a common trick, and it, it tricks everybody, and this is not any particular administration. Uh, this has been going on for years through multiple uh, presidential administrations. So we're not, you know, this is not a political statement. It's a statement about how uh, the expectations are so low, the bar has been set so low now, uh, and, but it, it cannot be sustained like that. Uh, eventually, this bubble will pop, and we will have mean reversion, and it never happens when anybody thinks it does. Uh, you, you know when the bubble finally pops is, you know, there's the old saying from uh, right before the Great Depression. Somebody said, when you're a cab driver, and I guess nowadays it would be your Uber driver, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're a 
modernize it. When your Uber driver is giving you stock tips, that's the time to get the heck out. Okay. <laughs> when everybody thinks it's easy to make money in the stock market, that's the time to to get out. Are we there yet? We're we're pretty darn close. Yeah. Uh, we have people. We have the Robin Hood crowd, and not to on millennials or, or anything like that, but we've got people who are who do not have twenty or you know thirty years of experience in the markets like I do, and we have uh, you know they just go on their phone. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with going you know trading on your phone, but you know Robin Hood made it so easy and so cheap, and now all the other brokers, your Charles Schwab's and your Fidelities and your TD Ameritrade's, they're all free, commission free now, uh, or almost commission free, close to it. And so it's so easy and so cheap to trade stocks now that everybody thinks it's easy. And, uh, you know, the WeWork thing or, you know, or they got into Beyond Meat or some other hype-filled uh, IPO at the wrong time, whatever it is, they got into Lyft or Uber at the wrong time. Uh, and they got burned, uh, but they haven't learned. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, you know, I think they're contributing to it. That and there's no other alternative. Again, we talked about that. So, you know, valuations are very expensive, and I don't think it's going to end well, to be honest with you. Do you think um, fraction shares are helping to boost this irrational exuberance? Yeah, yeah. It, and everything that, and because that's another way to get into, you know, Amazon, which is a, you know, eighteen, dollars $1,900, $2,000 stock, or Google, you know, these $1,000 stocks, uh, with fractional shares and with options also. Mm. People are able to get into it. People have no business uh, trading those advanced trading instruments. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to start with trading, they should start with boring stocks. They should start with uh, your Disney's and your McDonald's of the world, you know, the, the Ford and General Motors and things like that, uh, ExxonMobil, something like that. They, mm-hmm. they should not be starting with these quote-unquote exciting stocks, all right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like Neo. Uh, you know, I like the cannabis stocks, but is that where you should, is that a starting point for a complete beginner? Uh, I like gold mining stocks, uh, but is that where you should start? I think, a, uh, you know, unless you want to put maybe 2% of your portfolio into that or, or your trading account. Or maybe up to five percent at most, no more than that, please. Yeah. Uh, for any spe- for any speculative bet, um, but you know things that you put uh, eight, nine, or ten percent of your portfolio, if even that much, should be very, very safe dividend yielding stocks. Amazon and Google do not even offer dividends, uh, and they're extremely expensive, and sh- people should not be trading those or fractional shares or derivatives like options on those. Uh, they should be starting out with self-education. Um, you know, again, I offer all these uh, hundreds of YouTube videos that people, uh, you know, go to YouTube, type in the search box, David Modell, M-O-A-D-E-L. Uh, I, I help a lot of people. I also, I also coach people. And, uh, you know, but have a mentor. It doesn't have to be me. But get some help with it. Don't just jump in on your, on your app <laughs> and think that, you know, what you're doing because you really don't in most in most cases and I don't want you to lose money I want people to be successful and not to get burned and um, that that is awesome David uh, I'm really curious though um, have you heard of um, those like investment services like equity equity Zen or like just like other companies that let you invest in like private companies for like you know little money have you heard of those yeah, and I cannot speak for or against those because I have not tried them out personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be great. I don't know. Uh, but, I, I, you know, people have asked me, asked me about those, and I, I just cannot speak on those uh, from personal experience. 
uh, I would say if you're going to invest in a service, uh, really, really research it. You, you know what? If you think you're saving work and effort and time, you're really not because you can either investigate and learn about uh, stocks and companies on your own, or you can entrust your money with somebody else, but then you got to research them and you got to look at their background and their reputation and their business model and their business structure. And how do you know you can trust them? And so that might require even more research and more due diligence. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, if you're investing in Coca-Cola, McDonald's, whatever, at least you know you're investing in companies that are not just going to you know, take your money and run with it. Uh, at least you're investing in companies that have been around for decades and decades. And, uh, you know, you still have to do your research, of course. You want to make sure that they are profitable and that they do pay that dividend, hopefully. It's not required that they pay a dividend. There are good companies that don't. But uh, it's a good sign if they do. And you want to invest in companies with a history. If you just trust, if you just hand your money over to an investment service or, or maybe if they're giving you, uh, you know, alerts or signals and you're just trusting that they're right and doing what they say, uh, really, is, is, is that, I, I don't know. I, I would investigate the heck out of that service, and even then I wouldn't trust it um, because I'm very selective and very picky about what I where I allocate my funds. And so if, if somebody else gives me an alert or a signal and says, well, you should buy this, I, I would still investigate it on my own anyway. I would research whatever they thought I should invest in. So I, you can use those services just as a starting point for something you'll uh, research yourself thoroughly. But as far as just uh, handing my money over to somebody, uh, that's not that's not how I uh, operate. No thanks. And uh, regarding like you know doing your own due diligence and all, um, do you recommend investors to also read like you know the ten Ks, the ten Qs, or um, should they yeah. just trust the analysts that have done most of the hard work for them? Yeah, and, and just to clarify for people who you might not be super familiar, uh, your your 10K is your annual report. 10Q is quarterly report mm-hmm. that companies you know have to or large companies at least have to submit to the SEC, and those are public. Uh, <clears throat> so you can <clears throat> excuse me, you can go on the internet and look them up, and you should, and uh, you know find out how they've been doing for the, over the past year or over the past quarter. Okay. Also, 8K. Uh, and 8K is a uh, any anytime with the company, there's a major event, a major financial event, uh, such as uh, you know, I don't know, uh, if they're going bankrupt, <laughs> something important. Okay, you probably want to know about it, and so the 8K would, uh, you know, if they filed bankruptcy or uh, something like that, so a major financial event, it would be reported on there. And so these things, uh, it's not like when I was young, and and it was hard to get access to these things. Uh, now it's so much easier, so there's no excuse not to. Uh, and there are other forms as well. Uh, other documents, other things to watch, earnings reports, things like that. Uh, so people, yeah, people should look for those. And even, again, even if you're taking alerts or signals from uh, an investment type of service, still, are, are you really just going to entrust somebody else with your money? Because if they lose your money, you know, if they lose uh, $10,000 uh, for you, do you think they're going to pay you back that ten grand? No. <laughs> Don't count on that, okay? Uh, so... You need to be responsible. You need to be reading. And uh, not enough people read. Not enough people want to do the research. They don't want to do the work. They think this would be easy. It's not, but it can be very profitable if you're willing to put the work in and if you know what you're doing. So what areas of like a 10K or a 10Q should investors um, look for to like um, 
how you say, to make their work um, less time consuming? Like, where would they really, where they, where should they look at? Yeah, uh, that's that's tough. I read the whole thing, so no, mm. there is no shortcut. <laughs> so, um, risk factors isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can look for the bottom line. You can you can kind of skim through it if you've got enough of those. But I, I would say read the whole thing. They're not that long. It's it's it, it's not going to be a hundred pages or something like that on a PDF file or anything like that. Um, just just read it. Just do it. <laughs> you know. And again, people, and not you in particular, but people. It's a valid question because people want those shortcuts. Yeah. They're like, Can I just get Guys, you know, my, I coach I, I coach clients, and I'm tough on them. I'm, I'm almost like a CrossFit trainer. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I kind of whip people into shape a little bit, but it's for their benefit. Um, you know, I get that a lot. Can I, you know, is there a shortcut? Can I not do this part of it? I'm like, no. I mean, you can, but don't don't come crying to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you miss out on something, so no, you, you got to read the whole thing. Uh, I mean, do you. I want people to understand every part of it. So if I work with them through Skype or whatever, uh, or on the phone, you know, we, we might go through something like that uh, in detail so they know what to look at. Um, I want them to get used to it. So, no, I, I wouldn't skip any part of it. And um, so for you, like with your fundamental analysis research and all, so um, do you mostly look at the SEC documents or do you also um, – look at hedge fund activity or um, like mutual fund activity? Like um, where do you usually do most of your fundamental research? Well, I, I have a whole checklist. Uh, and, and this is something I share with the, a lot of my coaching clients, uh, which is, you know, I, I go down and yes, the documents, sure. SEC filings, absolutely. Uh, insider activity, which includes hedge funds and ETFs and all that. ETF funds, and for people who don't know, ETF exchange traded fund, which is kind of like a mutual fund uh, that's uh, you know can trade at any time during the trading day, and usually has uh, less fees involved. Uh, yeah, so all, all the uh, activity that happens is relevant. Um, you know, one good starting point is Yahoo Finance. You know, finance.yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. If you go on there and type in the ticker symbol or the company name into the search box up there on Yahoo Finance, uh, and then scroll down past the chart, oftentimes you'll find what's going on. You know, does the company have any class action lawsuits pending against it? That's big news. That's important. Uh, you know, is there insider buying or, or uh, selling going on? That kind of thing. Uh, have, uh, you know, have they declared bankruptcy, something like that? Have they had a leadership change? Like, is the CEO leaving? Uh, if there's some sort of scandal going on, uh, uh, is there government activity uh, that's unfavorable to, uh, you know, like, like uh, if it's a biotechnology company, uh, did the FDA just uh, approve or, or not approve uh, a drug that they're, you know, developing? That's huge. Mm-hmm. That, that could be make or break for a biotech type of uh, stock. So, yeah, I, I look through, you know, every day or at least five days a week. Uh, I, I look, you know, I go on Yahoo Finance uh, just, just kind of as a starting point. It's not the be all and the end all. And I look through the latest goings on, the latest developments of news for the company. And uh, but yeah, 
also I'm looking at the SEC documents, which don't come out that often, but they do come out, and I, I try to stay on top of that. Uh, another place to look for insider activity is finviz.com, F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. Yeah. yeah, if if you go down, scroll down the page on finviz.com, you can see if uh, like if Mark Zuckerberg is buying or selling, you know, a gazillion shares of Facebook or not. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. You can you can see the insider uh, activity. It's a little bit delayed, of course, uh, but it but it is there. Uh, is that tradable by itself? Not not usually. Uh, because you know, let, let's take the Zuckerberg example again. Uh, just because he, he just sold, you know, twenty thousand shares of Facebook. Uh, yeah, he's the CEO of Facebook, but uh, you know, he you could sell something just to take profits uh, or or to offset another position. You know, just to balance out your portfolio. There are a number of reasons to sell something. He may be selling for tax purposes. Uh, so you don't know. It doesn't say why he's selling, and no one knows why he's selling. Even if he said why he's selling, that may not be the actual reason. So uh, that's not. It's not tradable. It's not actionable by itself. But it's worth knowing. Uh, why not avail ourselves of all the information out there? There's no excuse not to. Except I don't feel like doing the work. Well, well, then you shouldn't be investing or trading if that's the case. Mm-hmm. How about um, insider buying? Because usually the only reason people buy stocks is to make money. Uh, would you say insider buying is actionable to some extent? I'd say it's clearer. Yeah, I've made videos on this. That's a great question. I'd say insider buying is a, a little bit more uh, actionable. I'm even hesitant to say that than insider selling. Because, yeah, like we just discussed and you uh, alluded to, uh, yeah, the, the insiders sell for various reasons. They usually only buy, they would only buy if they thought the stock was going to go up. Fair enough. Um, is it reliable to the point where it's actionable? Oof. Really hard not one. By, not by itself. Not by itself. I wouldn't buy, I, I, I wouldn't buy a company just based on that. Um, no, it, it's a nice plus. Again, I have a checklist. So it's like, you know, you, you balance it out. You know, the, but let's say you're going down the checklist to do all your criteria for what you need to buy a company, a company stock. That would be one of them. And uh, if the preponderance of evidence, as they say in legal terms, uh, you know, if it weighs favorably, if, if it has all the check marks or most of them and not too many red flags, then I'll say, oh, this is looking good. Maybe I'll, I'll dip in. I'll, I'll start to accumulate shares possibly. Uh, and that's one factor of many. Uh, again, it's like dividends, you know, we discussed before. If a company uh, rewards shareholders with dividends, great. And that goes in the plus column. But is that by itself enough no. uh, to make me buy something? No. And so insider buying, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write a little check mark or smiley face, whatever, <laughs> on the, you know, on the checklist. But it's really, a, you know, a preponderance of, of pluses as opposed to minuses that really – and and. Gut feeling also is part of it. I, I don't like to use just emotions or feelings, but if something doesn't feel right, again, I'm very picky, very selective. I, I just don't bother with it. There are over 5,000 stocks on the New York Stock Exchange. So if, if, it, if there's a problem with the company, a real problem, if I just don't feel right about it, I'll move on to something else. There are too many to choose from. So um, I know that you also do um, options. So, do you think options activity um, is a good indicator of whether a stock is a good company to buy or not? 
Yeah, that, that's another one you can look at. Uh, the problem with options activity is that it's, it's a lot like stock activity. Uh, options volume, uh, if, if most people, whether they're trading options or stocks, most people are on the wrong side of the trade. And so uh, if a stock price goes up, uh, what is everybody buying? They're buying calls if they're options traders. They're, you know, the stock traders are all buying instead of shorting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the options traders are all buying calls instead of uh, buying puts. Uh, so, which, which is silly because if it, let, let's say uh, if Apple shares go up uh, five days in a row, okay, now it's way up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's short term, short term overbought. Yeah. Now the calls, the calls are expensive now, and now everybody's buying the calls, and and you know, and and they're. 500% higher in price than they were five days ago, let's say. <laughs> so you're, I, I, I buy calls when something went down, uh, if anything. You know, I, I like to buy for pennies on the dollar, not dollars on the penny. So if, if everybody's piling into a trade, whether they're options traders or stock traders or, or futures, whatever, uh, commodities traders, whatever it is, I, I, I'm a contrarian. And so... Uh, yeah, options volume, options uh, trading, unusual option activity, as they call it. I I don't really use that as a gauge. It, it might be a contrarian uh, indicator, if anything, for me. So, um, regarding like you know options, you know, and like unusual options activity, how about like open interest? Um, because I've noticed like a lot of people they use open interest to be like, oh yeah, someone bought like a million dollars worth of calls of a stock and so on. So what is your take on that? Well, open interest really by definition is just how many options contracts have not been, uh, are not expired or closed. Uh, that's all it is. So I, I don't, you know, I'm aware of it. You know, if I go on, uh, you know, my broker's platform uh, and make an options trade, I'm going to look at the open interest. Uh, I, I'm going to look at the, the trading volume, uh, you know, the, the, the bid-ask spread, all those things. Uh, so, that, I mean, that, that's one of many factors in it. I, I, don't, I don't put a lot of stock, no pun intended, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into uh, or a lot of uh, weight on open interest. It, it, it's something to look at. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts to options. you got to look at the, the delta. That, that's kind of a big one. I mean, you could you could learn the Black Scholes formula and learn every single part of it, but at the end of the day, I'm really mostly looking at the stock price more than anything, and whether the stock price is overextended to the upside or downside. And I'm probably going to bet in the other direction, and that's just a matter of, of choosing. Okay, how do I want? How much time do I want, do I want to give this trade? And so you have to choose an expiration date based on that. Um, you know, what are the prices of the uh, in the money, out of the money, and out of the money options? You know, how much am I willing to spend and risk on this trade? That kind of thing. So uh, it, it's not something for beginners, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I coach people, I start them generally with stocks, unless they're already pretty darn good at that. And, and then we can start with options very slowly. Um, and, and even then with paper trading or well, back in my day, they called it paper trading. <laughs> now mm-hmm. it's demo, demo or virtual trading uh, until they really have an understanding of, of all the moving parts there. Interesting. Um, and also, regarding like options and all, do you use like Think or Swim, or do you use like um, what like 
um, what do you call it, software or like services, do you use research uh, options? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to endorse one as being better than the other. TD Ameritrade or Thinkorswim, same thing. They, they have a great platform as far as the software goes, the charting. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I've, been, I've been using Schwab for a couple of years now. I like it a lot. Um, uh, Fidelity, I have it as a backup. Uh, I like them as well. Uh, I also have Merrill Edge as a backup, although I haven't used it in a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've just been using the, the, the Schwab trading platform. Uh, as far as charting, um, I like uh, Trend Spider. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Trend Spider. Dot com is a really good one, uh, and uh, and some of my videos I might use uh, just the Finviz charts that are up there, or something like TradingView, that kind of thing. I used to use StockCharts.com. Haven't used it as much recently. Mm. Uh, it's, it, it, I, I feel a little bit limited on their uh, on their charts. Uh, you can't just easily move them around and, and adjust them so easily. I found. Yeah, uh, I mean they're good, they're fine, but uh, but Trend has been that that's been a good one for me lately. Interesting, and um, so moving on, um, I'm curious. So I know you also do some crypto as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see crypto? Like, do you see it as like an investment, or like, or do you see it just as a currency? Uh, well, it it's both. Uh, it it's a, it could be a a replacement for the deteriorating dollar someday uh, for many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it already is a, a replacement for deteriorating fiat currencies in places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, places like that. Interesting. Where where their yeah their currency is just been debased to the point where it's almost worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, imagine uh, in America, could you imagine uh, a gallon of milk being a hundred dollars? You know that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. So it, it really is, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing grassroots type of movement. And, and there has been a groundswell of support for uh, blockchain technology and for uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, among millennials, uh, which is really encouraging to me. Uh, I think that the next generation, the Zoomers or Generation Z, as they call it, mm-hmm. I think they're going to embrace it even more because they'll be the first generation that grew up with Bitcoin for their their whole lives, some of them, and uh, so it'll be it'll be normalized for them. And, um, okay. and, and uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, but like you say, it's like normalized and all. So, are you implying that it should be treated more as a currency, not like an investment? Uh, well, it can be an investment if you believe that it's going to be mainstreamed more than it already has, which I, I think is inevitable given enough time. Um, and I, I'm talking mainly about the, the more popular ones, your Bitcoin, which has that brand ra- uh, brand name recognition and, and plenty of trading volume, that kind of thing. Uh, Ethereum, because a, a lot of ICOs are based on Ethereum. Mm. Based, so that's you know. So, so if you go with the top ones, your your Ripple, Ripple has a lot of bank buy-in, uh, you know, a bank banker adoption. So if, if you go on Coin Market Cap or World Coin Index, one of those, and if you stick with the top five or the top ten at most uh, on on the list there, you know, they list them by market cap. Then then that's that's a safer way to go than to 
get into maybe you know some of the more speculative, lesser-known ones. I'm not against buying those. It's kind of like I said earlier about gold mining and cannabis stock. Um, be aware that they're speculative, and if you want to put uh, you know less than five percent of your portfolio into something speculative like an ICO, that's fine. Uh, because then even if it goes wrong and goes to zero, you still won't lose that much. It, you know, won't, it won't uh, wipe you out completely. Uh, just be aware of what you're getting into. Uh, so, yeah, is, is it a currency? Sure. It, it absolutely is. Uh, it's an alternative to the inflation uh, you know, racked fiat money, government money, uh, that, uh, you know, I mean, think about it. If the inflation rate is 2.1% right now, that means that, uh, you know, people think that uh, holding on to dollars is the safest way to go. Well, but over time, the value of that dollar is going to go down and down and down. And uh, whereas uh, with Bitcoin, only 21 million Bitcoins will ever be mined, will ever be created, unless they start changing the rules or something, which I hope they don't. But, I, I you know, <laughs> as far as I know, <laughs> as far as we know right now, uh, 21 million will ever be uh, created. So inflation is pretty much uh, all, all other things being equal. Inflation is impossible. Uh, and so the price, if, if it becomes more scarce over time, like more and more people are demanding it, but they're not printing anymore or mining anymore, I should say, in crypto terms, uh, then as long as the demand doesn't decline, then the price really ought to go up over time. Uh, it's it's volatile though. It's an emerging technology. It's a new technology. You can compare it to the internet in you know 1992. Uh, I, I remember I was on a I was in a college dorm at FAU, Florida Atlantic University, and it was the first time I ever saw the internet. I was at I was in some some dude's dorm, some 19 year old kid, and uh, he showed me the playing chess with somebody in Russia. And I'm like, how are you doing this? You'd be explaining that to me. <laughs> and it was just so cool. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a new technology. And so it was very glitchy and very buggy and didn't work great. But still, the, the, it was there. And I didn't really think about it again until a few years later when I saw my first, saw an email address for the first time, like in 1994 or something, 95, saw the ad sign. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and that's where that's kind of where we are now, I think, with uh, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Um, they're working stuff out, and so while that's happening, the price of Bitcoin is going to fluctuate wildly. It's got to go down, like it, it went down to thirty five hundred last year, and then up to ten, you know, over, uh, you know, up to thirteen thousand five hundred, and then back down to seven thousand, and now now it's around eight thousand, something like that. So it's going to happen. It's going to be wild, but yeah. You know, even if you, uh, if you could accept those fluctuations and if you only put a small amount of your portfolio, 5% or less, into it and just hold your nose and close your eyes and, and let it ride for years, you know, I don't see why Bitcoin can't reclaim that former high of 20,000-ish and keep going from there at some point given the scarcity and the demand, which I think will increase over time just because the dollar and other fiat currencies are not going to be attractive over time. Regarding like Bitcoin, so you know how like the value of Bitcoin's like in the thousands and all. Uh -huh. So like, how would um, a currency which is worth so much um, be applicable in like daily life? Like, is there like fractional Bitcoins or 
How does that yep. work? Absolutely. Yeah, there are, and um, it's it's a, it's an interesting idea to have a currency where the basic units <laughs> hmm. uh, they they weren't ready for that. I mean, Bitcoin was less than a penny when it first came out. Uh, it's interesting. You may have heard the story of the guy who uh, one of the first Bitcoin owners, uh, who back when a uh, Bitcoin was you know a few pennies, and uh, what did he do with it instead of holding on to it back in two thousand? You know, nine or whatever, 2010, whatever it was. Uh, he bought two pieces. He bought two pepperoni pieces with all his Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my and, god! Uh, yeah, and you know, would have been worth you know, like, yeah, I don't know, uh, fifty thousand dollars now or something. So I, I hope those were good uh, pieces, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I hope he enjoyed them. But uh, yeah, so uh, Bitcoin, yeah, you, yeah so. They weren't. Ex- I don't think they were expecting it. I, I, I don't think the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, you know, the pseudonym of, of the uh, the Bitcoin uh, coder, you know, created the code for Bitcoin. Um, I, I don't think he was uh, quite prepared for it to to get up to uh, you know twenty thousand at one point uh, in December twenty seventeen. So uh, so we have an, an interesting situation in which the basic unit is thousands of dollars. Um, but you know you. So you, you got to think a little bit differently. Yeah, you, you can buy 0.01 Bitcoin or whatever. You can buy any amount of Bitcoin you want. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if, and, and they have another unit called the Satoshi, but that's really, really small. That's the problem. They, they, need, they need in-betweens. You know, just like we have a $1 bill, $5 bill, $10 bill, and so on. Uh, so, yeah, they, they really need to standardize that. But these are things that will get worked out. Um it, it, it's like I said, it's an emerging technology. It's developing. Uh, that doesn't mean these things can't be solved. Uh, they just haven't been solved yet. Okay, interesting. Um, so moving on to um, you know, gold and silver. Um, you know, as they say, like bitcoins, like digital gold and all. So what what do you what's your take on like real gold and silver? Like, do you think their prices will increase in the future? Or do you think um, they will still, like, how do you say it, be in, um, like, go nowhere? Well, I do think they'll go up over time. Um, A lot of people don't even realize uh, that uh, central banks of uh, a number of countries, uh, we're talking about Russia, China, India, they are loading up on precious metals and especially gold. Um, so why are they doing this? Well, I talked about, we talked about how the value of the dollar deteriorates over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that happens, uh, gold and silver as well, and precious metals generally, have a tendency to go up. In fact, it's, it's a very strong correlation, historically speaking. And I know that future performance, you know, past performance does not indicate future performance. I know that, that disclaimer. But historically speaking, uh, when as the dollar has deteriorated, the price of gold has gone up over time. Uh, for example, in the year 2000, uh, gold was trading at less than, uh, you know, at the turn of the millennium, uh, the price of gold was trading at less than three, a little bit less than $300 per ounce. In, in U.S. dollar terms, uh, I'll look it up right now. The price of gold is one thousand five hundred and sixty dollars and sixty cents right now. Mm-hmm. So you know, from less than three hundred, let's round that from you know three hundred to fifteen hundred. 
that's a 400% gain because it's up 500%. So the, the profit, the net, would be a 400% gain. The stock market since January 1st, 2000 is up 350%. Whoa. So gold, gold has slightly outperformed mm. uh, the stock market, the S&P 500, since the turn of the millennium. Most people don't know that. A lot of people think that the stock market has outperformed everything. Not true. Uh, so why is that? Well, again, the dollar deterioration, uh, the devaluation of it over time, because the, the federal government keeps printing dollars and printing them and printing them. So even if the demand is there, still the supply is just so oversupplied uh, because the government solves so many problems by doing what? By printing money. <laughs> just throw money at the problem. Uh, so it's devaluing the dollar, and over time, I believe that that is going to continue to increase or lift the price of gold and of silver. Uh, now, silver and gold, see, gold is kind of like Bitcoin. Somebody might look at a Bitcoin and say, oh, it's around uh, 8000 Actually, you know what? Let me look up the exact price. I don't like to, I don't like to misquote things. Uh, Bitcoin is $8,660. And 84 cents per Bitcoin. But you can buy, uh, it's just like fractional shares you mentioned. You can buy a fraction of it, any fraction you want, practically. Mm. So people might look at gold and say, well, gold is 15.60 per ounce. I can't afford that. Well, you don't have to buy a whole ounce of gold. You can buy a piece of it. So, you know, don't let that deter you. Um, and so you can have physical gold. Uh, and if, if you want something, you know, that has even more potential, silver is $18 and seven cents an ounce. Uh, it's gone up to $50 an ounce back in 2011. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, per ounce, uh, for silver was, was around, yeah, it was around $50 an ounce back in uh, 2011. Obviously it's gone down since then. Uh, so, you know, you, if you want something that has huge potential, uh, silver is kind of like gold's more volatile little brother, so to speak. Mm. <laughs> uh, it moves. It's a mover. If you want something more steady, more solid, something that doesn't move up or down as much, uh, you might want to consider buying some, some physical gold and just holding on to it for years. Mm. Uh, if, if, you know, again, if your theory, if your thesis, like mine, is that the dollar's value is going to deteriorate, if you believe, as I do, that the federal U.S. government is going to continue to print dollars in large amounts, which they've done since, uh, uh, for my entire lifetime at least. Uh, then gold, if, if the future is anything like the past, uh, should go up. Uh, gold should go up. Gold has gone up to uh, nine, about $1,900 per ounce uh, in 2011. But again, silver uh, has gone up to 50 You know, again, now it's only uh, 18 and change. So the potential for silver to increase multiple fold, multiple times, is there. Uh, whereas gold, if it increases, probably not going to go up, uh, you know, like a five-fold or something like that, like silver would have to do if it were to reclaim all-time highs. Uh, but again, there's a volatility factor. Just like silver can go up faster, it's been known to go down faster as well. So be aware of that. So it depends on what your risk profile would be, what your risk tolerance would be whether you want to choose gold or silver, or a mixture of both. And there's also platinum and palladium. Uh, there, it, that's all a discussion of, of metals. But if, if you're just starting out, uh, maybe start researching gold and silver and consider which one or combination of, of the two you might be interested in. 
So I'm really curious here. So I know like with gold, they usually say that gold's like inflation hedge. Um, how about silver? How come silver doesn't have that um, title? Yeah, well, precious metals are an inflation hedge. Uh, silver really should have that title because if you look at the charts, uh, you know, if you pull up the chart and you just Google it, uh, gold versus U.S. dollar, there, there's a, a very strong inverse correlation. But same with silver. Uh, you know, the, the silver and the dollar uh, go in opposite directions most of the time mm-hmm. uh, over the long term. Not, not on any given day necessarily. You know, I, I don't want somebody to say, oh, the day, you know, uh, today – you know, that didn't happen. Okay, well, not on a day-to-day basis, but over months and years, they tend to have an, an inverse uh, correlation most of the time on the long-term charts. Uh, so, yeah, silver is a great inflation hedge as well. It's just not as well-known. Uh, central banks are not loading up on it like they are with gold. Uh, so if you want to be on the same side as, as uh, the central banks of, like I said, Russia, uh, you know, Turkey, China, India, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, they, they want something that has uh, a reputation for being a great inflation hedge, you know, a hedge against dollar devaluation. And so gold has that reputation. It's deserved. Uh, but silver, which is less popular uh, as a trading or investment vehicle, it, it really does the job as well. Um, and so do platinum and palladium. I mean, precious metals generally uh, do well when the dollar doesn't doesn't over the long term, or historically hasn't, at least. Uh, so yeah, silver is valid for that purpose as well, I would say. And um, how about the streaming companies, you know, like companies that invest in like the projects or make loans to those miners? Um, do you think they're a safer play rather than like investing in the miners? Uh, probably, yeah. I, I would say like Franco Nevada, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which is ticker symbol FNB, by the way, in case people are curious. They're, they're uh, the most popular uh, and uh, most probably successful, I would say, uh, royalty slash streaming company. And for people who don't know, these are companies that uh, loan startup capital or maintenance capital to gold and silver miners and, and other type of uh, companies. And uh, they take profits from, uh, you know, they take a share of the profits, either in cash, uh, if they're a royalty company, or in gold at a very highly reduced price, uh, if they're a streaming company. Mm. Uh, So uh, that's the business model. I I think it is a safer way to go because uh, royalty and streaming companies, they're not, they don't have direct exposure to problems like if there's a miner's strike or government issues, you know, if you've got a miner in, in, you know, somewhere out in Africa or South America or something like that, um, whereas the mining companies themselves have to deal with these issues, infrastructure issues, you know, the roads have problems or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you see these things still impact indirectly the royalty and streaming company, but the royalty and streaming company is diversified, you know, they're, they're usually, uh, they're going to loan the funds to not just one company, but, but probably many. Uh, so if one company has, uh, you know, I don't know, infrastructure problems or, or political, governmental problems, whatever, uh, they're not going to take as huge of a hit as opposed to that company, that mine.
mining company, they, they could be in real trouble if that happens. I still like mining companies, um, uh, but if you want something that has a, a business model that doesn't directly involve exposure to those potential issues, uh, royalty streaming companies may be the way to go. Okay, yeah, because um, I've been noticing like the streaming companies, they've been doing really well. Um, yeah. But for you, like, I'm just curious, like, in your personal view, would you rather invest in the streaming company or would you rather invest in the commodity? Uh, you, what, you mean like physical gold, silver, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, for me, for, well, I, I tend to go with both. Uh, yeah, because if you just buy gold by itself and that's all you have, um, you're not, it, it's safer. Uh, it just it just doesn't move that much. Like, like again, you know, you got uh, gold right now at uh, what was gold uh, fifteen. So, guys, to interrupt um, during this part of the conversation, um, we had technical difficulties, and now here's the second part of the segment. Uh, I don't even remember the question. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if, if you're able to edit, that'll be great. I, I know editing's a pain in the butt, but <laughs> yeah. So um, we were back on the, um, you know, which one do you prefer, like the actual commodity or the streaming company? And okay, you, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you want to ask the question again, or 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 just take it from the answer? Let's just take it from the answer. Okay. Yeah. So uh, as opposed to uh, streaming versus, uh, you know, uh, the miners versus the physical gold. Uh, I think it's fine to have a mix of all these things. Uh, so I would say that the more volatile the asset class is, uh, the smaller percentage of your portfolio it should be. Okay. So uh, if, if we're going to rank these things in terms of volatility level, I'd say gold is the least volatile, uh, meaning it, it doesn't make, you know, it does not make as big moves to the upside and downside. Uh, and so if somebody wanted to put 10% of their portfolio into gold, uh, that could be okay. I'm not recommending or not recommending that. I'm just saying that's something I might do. Uh, and then like a Franco Nevada, you know, royalty slash streaming type of company might be a little more volatile than that uh, because it's an individual company as opposed to a commodity like gold. So, uh, you know, so I, I might put, uh, I don't know, uh, 5% of my portfolio into that. Uh, and then, then if there's a gold miner that I like, uh, then, you know, that's more volatile than that. Uh, so I would put even less in my portfolio. Maybe I'll put 2% or 3% of my portfolio into a, a particular gold miner. Uh, and so then, you know, I'm, I'm basing it, I'm gauging it based on how much risk there is because more volatility means more risk, generally speaking. Uh, and just buying gold uh, might make you feel uh, safer, and it probably will be safer, but, you know, you don't have to put 100% of your portfolio into gold because your returns, uh, your risk will not be that much, but neither will your returns. Uh, whereas if you go all in on one gold miner, you know, you could double your portfolio or it could get cut in half just as easily. <laughs> so, so, yeah, and, and that's, uh, that's something I help people with through the coaching. Uh, because people have a tendency to want to push too hard in, in the direction of speculative, you know, volatile, risky asset classes. Uh, 
And so I, I really do believe in de-risking uh, by putting bigger percentages of one's portfolio into the uh, the asset classes with less movement. And I would I would count gold uh, among them for sure. And um, regarding, um, you know, like commodities and all, I know we talked a lot about the precious metals. Um, how about like other commodities like um, sugar, soybeans? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think like the commodities, all the commodities in general could, you know, start rallying after being hated for so long? Uh, the commodities generally, uh, like the, the soft commodities like cotton uh, or, the, well, I mean, the, the agriculture uh, generally has been beaten down so much um, in the last few years. Uh, I think that's a pretty good opportunity as long as people recognize that it, ke- it could keep going down. Uh, yes, the farmers have received subsidies, but it, it really has not been enough. Uh, so there might be more. Uh, you know, the farmers just leaving the business, unfortunately. And my heart goes out to the to the farmers in, in America. Um, you know, they really are the backbone uh, of of America, and uh, you know, th- them and, and the truckers and, and a lot of other people uh, that I have a lot of respect for who are struggling. Manufacturing is struggling right now. Shipping, uh, and like I said, the truckers. You know, they're having a, they're having a hard time, and I feel bad. Um, my heart goes out for sure. Uh, so the, these are sectors, and, and as far as the, the commodities sector generally, it is down. Uh, but why? Because the stock market has just been propped up and manipulated upwards so much that people don't see a need to get into, into the commodities space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that presents an opportunity um, if they want to get into corn or you know, soybeans or something like that or wheat. Uh, they can. Just be aware that uh, it, it could go down more. Uh, but we're not trying to time these things perfectly, especially if we have a long-term perspective. If you're willing to hold on for years, then, okay, maybe you won't catch the bottom. But if you get pretty close, you'll do all right. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not against putting, um, you know, a 5% position of one's long-term portfolio into, uh, into those, you know, one or more of those uh, commodities. Uh, again, with, with the caveat that, uh, you know, more pain could be ahead. But they're, they're really low. So, yeah. You got to find value somewhere. It's tough to find it in the S and P's of the world and and the the Dow's and the Nasdaq's of the world. So that's one of the places you can look to for sure. And um, I'm really curious though. So regarding like you know commodities being really cheap and all, and the industry like getting tough, um, would you say that because of this toughness, um, commodity companies are starting to like strengthen their balance sheets and all? especially with the miners. Um, have you been seeing the same trend or not? Uh, well, the trend I've been seeing is, is a lot of uh, uh, M&A activity, mergers and acquisitions. And so the strong have been getting stronger. <laughs> the big have been getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's bad or good. It just it, it is. Uh, but a lot of smaller ones have been, have been springing up because there has been demand for gold lately. Like I said, central banks uh, have been, uh, you know, demanding gold in a big way, um, and there's just been a lot of demand from from nations like India and China uh, for gold. They really they really appreciate gold more than, you know, in, in America they, you know, American investors should appreciate gold more than they do. But with with a sky high stock market, it's you know that's the thing now. And then IPO mania, startup mania. Gold just isn't sexy or exciting right now. Uh, 
but uh, I think it will, you know, when the dollar, uh, you know, continues to crumble and, and when, when everything is more expensive and, and the consumers, the CPI, the consumer price index, you know, when, they, when people see that chart just uh, go up relentlessly. And, and, and when, when people will feel it when the price of everything goes up, you know, in, in consumer terms. Uh, and and then people will finally start to appreciate uh, gold. I mean, gold's been around for you know six thousand years with, as as a store of value and as a form of money. It's not going anywhere. Uh, so, uh, as as far as commodities generally making a comeback, it, it will. I mean, you can't really try to time these things. Um, I, I I do like gold and silver just because they have so much volume. It's easy to trade. Uh, as opposed to trying for, for a beginner to try to get into futures trading with soybeans or, you know, hog bellies, things like that. I mean, yeah. cattle, cattle, I don't recommend it for most people, especially beginners. Whereas with gold and silver, it's, it's easy to go online, um, and, and take a starter position in it. I mean, there, there are, uh, some very reputable, um, you know, I, ITM trading, itmtrading.com. That's a good one for gold and silver. Uh, I've spoken with spoken with Lynette Zhang uh, over there at ITM Trading. She's amazing. Uh, so there there are a number of, of good places you can go uh, for for gold and silver, and to um, you know just just take a starter position. Start slowly. Don't go in on anything, and uh, just start to accumulate. And if the price dips, then you can you can buy a little bit more. Um, don't 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 be a chaser. Don't chase high prices. Uh, if you really believe in dollar deterioration that's that's coming, uh, then whenever gold or silver dips, that's that's your time to get in. Not when everybody else is is buying it. And that's true of almost everything that I can think of. Mm, good point. And um, finally, what stock picks are you looking at? Uh, I've been liking Neo NIO a lot. Uh, I was, yeah, I was recommending me and I'm not being paid anything by Neo. Okay. This is not a sponsored or promotional thing. Uh, I was in my videos. And uh, again, if people want to check out my, my videos, they're free to watch right now. It's uh, if you go to YouTube, type David Modell, M O A T E L into the search box, you'll find me. Uh, I've got hundreds of videos online and, uh, I was recommending Neo stock at, uh, it was around $2 or so to 250 between two and 250 a share cheap stock and you know and it went down and everybody hated my guts and then and now it's up to what like four dollars a share okay i was gonna say i, I don't like to misquote so uh there you go 467 so getting closer to five almost getting there at least mm-hmm. uh so you know i if if i uh say that i like something on YouTube or anywhere, don't buy it just because I said I like it. You know, you got to do your own research, which I've been trying to emphasize here. Uh, but, and, you know, if I make a, if I have an idea, uh, that doesn't mean that's going to turn around and, and go to the moon uh, tomorrow or next month. It, it took a few months before it, it took off. But I, I looked at it and I said, you know, uh, and by the way, for people who don't know, NEO is, is a, an electric vehicle uh, manufacturer in China. And I thought to myself, you know, China is starting to, not starting to, they've been, but they've, they've really ramped up uh, uh, their efforts towards uh, uh, anti-pollution measures. Mm-hmm. 
So because there's a huge pollution problem in, in China, huge. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I thought to myself, you know, this company's pretty cheap there, and I, I think electric vehicles are going to become a thing. Uh, I think they're going to be encouraged probably by the government over there uh, and by the culture just generally. Uh, because, you know, if, if you look at pictures uh, of, of people in, in uh, Chinese cities, you'll see them wearing uh, masks a lot of the time. Uh, so, you know, pollution is, is really an issue. And so it's going to benefit a company like that, I think. Um, and I knew it wouldn't happen necessarily the next day or the next week. But I thought, you know, at some point and already it's it's up, uh, you know, uh, more or almost, uh, you know, 100 percent. From when I started talking about it in a, pos- in a positive way. Uh, and I think it has more more room for upside. It, it, the stock's been much higher than that. Uh, so that that's one that I'm looking at. Uh, other companies that I like right now, uh, Roku, R-O-K-U, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, this is a different kind of streaming. <laughs> you yeah. talked about uh, streaming as a business model for uh, for companies. Um, but now we can talk about streaming, uh, you know, as a, meaning cutting the cable cord and just uh, going on Netflix or something like that. But Netflix is already expensive. Everybody knows about it already. Mm-hmm. You can still buy it and, you know, it might go higher. But uh, but as as far as companies that are uh, more of an upstart with, with potential ahead of it, just like just like I'm looking at Neo more than Tesla because Tesla is already very expensive. It's a $500 stock now. Mm-hmm. So that one's already been discovered by the crowds and the masses. Yeah. So whereas uh, Roku... You know, versus uh, Netflix. Netflix has been discovered by the crowds. It's already a crowded trade, whereas Roku is not yet. Uh, things like that. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, other things in that category: uh, Shopify, Squarespace. Um, I I still like PayPal. I think that's an underappreciated stock. Uh, I use it all the time. <laughs> um, and I, I think PayPal. Uh, it is very. I, I think they're going to get more seriously into into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency at some point. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a, a, a connection between the two. I, I think they're going to be, you know, they're going to get into that. So if you believe in cryptocurrency, that may be a very, very indirect way of of looking at that, as opposed to Facebook, which um, their Libra project. Uh, it was. You know, it was going to be this year and then summer or May of this year, maybe June. Now we don't know when it's going to be. Uh, Congress really grilled the heck out of uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And before that, David Marcus, who was the Libra Project uh, leader there. Uh, So they're going to have government resistance, whereas uh, PayPal... I don't think the government cares what PayPal does, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Because, uh, see, the government is, is concerned that, um, and actually vocalized this, that, that Zuckerberg is trying to create his own bank, basically, whereas the PayPal just does their own thing. They're not trying to create a bank. They're not trying to create an alternative to the dollar. There's no threat there to the government. So, so that's another good one. Uh, and Franco Nevada. I mean, it's not cheap, but it is. Uh, you know, if you believe in the royalty streaming model that we discussed today, that could be a good way to go. But just wait till it dips. You don't have to buy it right now. I'm curious though about um, Nio. Um, do you think that? Um, how do I say this? Because I know, like some of the bears, they cite like you know the cash issue, like the cash yeah. crunch. 
Yeah. Um, what is your take on that? They, yeah, the cash burn, but they, they cited that when it was going down. Uh, they don't, they, it wasn't, all right, the reason that it went from two and change to 467, I think I did it five briefly. Uh, the reason it popped back up was because they realized, oh, wait a minute, the cash burn's not nearly as bad as we thought it was. I was recommending it when people were freaking out. That's that's cool. when you, you get in the company, you know, as Warren Buffett, I'm going to butcher another one of his quotes. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, you buy when there's blood on the streets. Uh, you know, you, or as my friend Rich from Rich TV Live likes to say, you buy in the red, sell in the green. Everybody wants to buy when they realize, oh, the cash burn issue was overstated. Uh, they don't buy it when people are freaking out. So I'm a contrarian by nature. I've been like that since I was a kid. <laughs> I always oh, wanted, to, yeah, whatever, whatever everybody else wanted to do. I'm like, let me let me go the other way. Let me do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about it now. Uh, if anything, I'm starting to think about taking profits. How about um, um, Roku? I know you mentioned that you don't like companies that don't make profits, but Roku doesn't have a PE yet. Um, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and th- that's a fair point. Um, I'm willing to make – I make exceptions for a lot of things. Uh, and, again, it's a checklist. Uh, you know, I, I one thing is not going to – uh, is, is not to be all in the end all. Uh, so yeah, no, that is a minus against it. Um, but they're, they're kind of like, uh, on the, you know, like that five year profitability plan, I think. Um, so I, I'm willing to make an exception for Roku, uh, provisionally. I mean, this is all tentative. I, I could change my mind on that at any time, of course. Um, I believe in, in the industry generally. Um, everybody hates cable. I, I don't know anybody who likes the price of cable. <laughs> I don't know any. I don't know anybody who likes uh, the service of cable. How it's always going down. <laughs> My cable's down, uh, and I, the infrastructure is expensive. Uh, you know, satellite is everything now, and that's what streaming is. And I mean, nobody does cable and chill. They all do Netflix and chill. <laughs> yeah, but Netflix, but Netflix is expensive. And so Roku is is uh, I don't think they're just riding on the backs of, of that. Well, I mean they kind of are, but I, I think they're helping to build build out um, the streaming revolution. And so and it's it's just a company that hasn't become super expensive yet. Uh, and so that that's what I tend to look for. And that's I, I view Neo in the same way, Neo versus Tesla. So mm-hmm. you know, and and. Uh, I mean, I'm curious to see what the next Amazon's going to be. I mean, you know, what, you know, I'm always on the lookout or, or the next Google. I mean, you know, what, what's, if there's something that's kind of a Google-ish, uh, I'm always on the lookout for things like that rather than invest in a, you know, four-digit $1,000-plus stock now, which could go higher, but, you know, the P.E. ratio is so bloated uh, that I, I'm just not ready to allocate a lot of capital to that. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. You know, um, you know the thing is, like regarding like the next Amazon and all, it's like, um, what if instead of like looking for the next Amazon, why don't you look for the, what do you call it, you know, a new industry? Um, 
Do you think that might have um, been a better philosophy for investors? Uh, they're both good. I mean, you, you could do it. It's a personal preference. You could look for the next Amazon in an industry that's already established, like e-commerce, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is what Amazon's in. Or you could look for the next industry. Uh, either one's fine. I mean, if if uh, the next industry is 5G or AI, artificial intelligence, uh, or what, or you know, uh, cannabis in America, American cannabis might be the next big thing. Uh, yeah. You know, because there there are no American you know cannabis companies that are as big as Canopy Growth Corp or Tilray or anything like that. So you know that. It, it, your guess is as good as mine as to which one's going to be the next big one. Um, so picking the next big industry is just as hard, not, not just as hard, but it, it's difficult it, as opposed to picking the next big company in an already established industry. It, it, it's, it, they're both tough. They're both tough to do. Uh, pick your poison <laughs> pick your <laughs> uh, or do a little bit of both. Um, and, you know, I, I research every day or almost every day. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for the next ones, and that's why I put out the videos, uh, to try to express you know, and verbalize those, those thoughts that I'm having. Interesting. And before um, we end off, um, I would like to know your macro-level market forecast for 2020. Sure. Um, I think the stock market will continue to go up in the short term uh, just because we have – a federal Federal Reserve that will do anything, ethical or not, um, to prop up the stock market. Uh, but as valuations get stretched, a lot of people don't know that the S&P 500 is the farthest above its 200-day moving average that it's been in, in two years, since uh, January of 2008. So it's really stretched to the upside. I think it'll stretch a little bit more, and then we'll get a nice correction. Um, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, an eight to 10% correction would, would be, uh, should be expected. No guarantees, of course, but should be expected this year. Um, and the timing of it will be interesting because it's an election year. Um, mm. but with, you know, with the stock market that's, that went up 29% last year, uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to sway an election. E even if a 10% market, uh, correction happened right before the election, people have made so much money in stocks uh, since 2016 that I, I, I think that'll be a drop in the bucket. Uh, I, I think elections are, are determined not by how the stock market's doing, but by uh, how people feel, the economy, things like that, uh, you know, uh, consumer prices, uh, just how they feel on, on, a, you know, on a day to day basis. It's determined more by uh, Main Street than Wall Street. Uh, but as far as the stock market goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm preparing for a nice correction, and, and that's when you start to accumulate. Buy when there's blood on the streets. Don't, uh, don't buy when your Uber driver is telling you it's easy to make money in the markets. <laughs> but how come you're not predicting like, you know, like a 2018, 19% correction, for example? How come the correction, how come you're predicting that the correction would be a lot smaller? Uh, well, 20% corrections don't happen very often. Uh, and it, it happened, I mean, it happened, uh, well, about a year ago in uh, the fourth quarter of 2018. Uh, so it happened uh, almost exactly a year, maybe a year and a month ago. So 20 percenters are technically, that's a bear market and they don't happen that often. 
Uh, I'd love it to happen. I, I, I would, I would celebrate uh, another opportunity like that. That, that mini bear, as I like to call it, the mini bear market of uh, Q4 2018 was a great opportunity to buy. You, you yeah. could, have just about, could have bought just about any company in the S&P 500 and, and, uh, and done well. Even if your timing wasn't perfect, even if you bought it when it was only 10% down and just held on and collected dividends all the way, if it's a dividend-yielding uh, company, you would have done great. And so I'd, I'd love another 20% opportunity. Um, but since the 20 percenters don't happen that often, uh, we had one in, 20, in 2011, and then we had one in 2018. <laughs> So I'm not expecting one. I'm not expecting another one tomorrow. You know, <laughs> but yeah. it could happen. It could happen. Uh, but ten percent or eight, eight to ten percenters happen uh, much more frequently. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if a twenty percent or twenty percent will happen. Um, but it, you know, if I'm going to go at probabilities, uh, I, you know, an eight to ten percent is more likely, statistically speaking. And how about the um, oil market? Like, I know, especially with the unrest in the Middle East yeah. and with the potential of oil, like, rallying, do you think that will cause a correction or will it help um, boost the market? It's a weird thing. On a day-to-day basis, sometimes you see the S&P 500 follow oil briefly, uh, but there's not a strong long-term correlation. If somebody were to superimpose the S&P 500 versus the oil price, there's not a strong long-term correlation. Uh, so, for example, in 2008, 2009, you know, stock market crashed, but oil prices went up. You remember in 2008 when uh, oil, you know, gasoline was four dollars a gallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so not a great correlation there. So, I, I wouldn't expect one to follow the other. Uh, as far as the oil price, yeah, it, it's been bouncing between fifty dollars and sixty dollars a barrel for a long time now. Uh, month after month after month, uh, talking about WTI crude oil, West uh, Texas Intermediate, which is a standard in America. Um, so, yeah, it, it went above 60 briefly, and uh, all the people who the people who only look at charts, the the YouTube chart gurus, <laughs> they said, <laughs> "Oh, it broke out. It broke out of the channel. It's going to keep going higher." Well, they were wrong. <laughs> it came right, right back in the range. Now it's uh, 58 and change. So. You know, you, you got to look at why. Why did it go up? Uh, well, you know, everybody thought we're going to break out into a big war with uh, Iran. And, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, he had no incentive to get into a war with Iran, and he didn't. Um, yeah. And Iran had no incentive to get into a war with us. So, mm-hmm. you know, so for the all the YouTube chart gurus out there, you were wrong. Not trying to rub it in. Well, you know what? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't mind rubbing in a little bit. <laughs> you gotta, it, but it's just it's an object lesson in looking at all data, not just the chart, but also why, what's going on. You got to look at the news, look at the fundamentals, uh, look at the big picture. Interesting, um, David. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, do you have any um, last words um, before we end? Yeah, well, thank you for for uh, bringing me onto your podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, if people want to check out my YouTube uh, channel, just go to YouTube, type in David Modell, M-O-A-D-E-L. There's only one L there, and there is an A in there somewhere. <laughs> so I have to spell it for everybody. And uh, <clears throat> check out my videos. I, I've got hundreds of them. Uh, I, I you know, put my thoughts on there as to what I might be looking at as far as my watch list. 
Uh, I'm not a licensed or registered investment advisor, so, uh, you know, don't uh, take any advice or suggestions or recommendations just because I said so or because anybody said so. Uh, Self-educate, make your own decisions, do your research, please, and keep your position sizes small so you won't get hurt if something goes against you. Those are great words, David. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right. Bye. So, guys, thanks for listening. Please share this podcast with all your friends and family. And please visit David's YouTube channel. You can learn a lot about finance right at his YouTube channel. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.